Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, FEMA commits nearly $1 billion to replace the Roy Lester Snyder Hospital on St. Thomas. The Department of Education's high contract costs comes under scrutiny by lawmakers. The Cannabis Advisory Board approves proposed rules and regulations relating to the Cannabis Use Act. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. FEMA has committed nearly $1 billion to demolish and replace the Roy Lester Snyder Hospital on St. Thomas. The $928.7 million is being made possible under the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, which clears a path for the demolition of the five-story tall building and the construction of a new 439,000-square-foot hospital on the existing site in Sugar Estate. FEMA has now committed over $975 million to replace the Snyder Hospital and repair the Charlotte Kimmelman Cancer Institute. Governor Albert Bryan Jr. provided remarks on the news. We have the Rebuild USVI that we've been marketing. It's just another obligation that we'll be putting into that package. The St. Thomas uh, Healthcare Package includes uh, Roy Lester Snyder, as well as uh, the Health Center and the Queen Louise uh, home over here. So there's three buildings in that package. We're trying to get out the first $3 billion packages by the end of March. And as I said uh, in my press conference last week, this uh, match by FEMA makes it uh, that much easier. But when you hear, you know, $1 billion appropriation, that, that includes all the prep work. Uh, even before we get to construction, there's a lot of pre-project uh, costs in there, including plans, specs, uh, and developer costs, all kinds of stuff that go in before. So it's not a billion dollars uh, that it comes out to. And we're trying our best to do it on the budget way under budget so we can make sure that we have enough money to do other projects that we want that are not funded. Speaking more presently on the Roy Lester Snyder Hospital, it's been indicated that the facility has reportedly been having issues with paying its vendors. Governor Bryan stated his administration has been in conversation related to the hospital's supply and vendor issues. We were actually um, docking the hospital's uh, allotments because they haven't been paying WAPA. So it's like six or one half a dozen or the other, essentially robbing Peter to pay Paul. Uh, we've since uh, kind of stopped doing that. We're trying to give the hospitals their full allotments so they can maintain um, their supply levels. But the hospitals are always having cash flow problems. That's nothing new. We just gave them uh, another 600000 the other day in St. Thomas to open a cat lab. And I've appropriated $10 million for the hospitals, of which they still have at least $5 million. Um, that's where the $7,000 they get, uh, the nurses get their bonus out of, and that money is available for them as well, too. So uh, if they're having supply issue problems, as I know, we've been talking to uh, OMB Director Jennifer O'Neill and making sure that their cash is cool. Leadership from the Department of Education provided updates to lawmakers on the progress of renovation projects being done in schools particularly the status of the John H. Woodson Junior High School that reopened yesterday and renovations of bathrooms at the St. Croix Central High School and the St. Croix Educational Complex. Commissioner Dr. Dion Wells-Hedrington 
testified that bathroom renovations have progressed at the St. Croix Central High School and that there are plans to renovate 14 restrooms. Renovations of bathrooms at the St. Croix Educational Complex are expected to be done through a consolidated contract that include all restroom renovations in the St. Croix District. During his round of questioning, Senator Kenneth Gittins pushed officials on accountability of funds, telling Commissioner Wells Hedrington he lacked confidence in project contractors. Are you familiar with custom builders? Yes, sir. Are they still contracted to do work with the Department of Education? Uh, they are contracted to complete the Gladys Abraham site in St. Thomas, and um, they were contracted to do the complex air condition installations. Everything that they were contracted to do on St. Croix at complex were completed 100%. I would have to ask Mr. Fleming to respond. Good afternoon, um, Senator. They are substantially completed with the work that they have right now. They're in the closeout process along with our engineer. Short answer is no. The, the answer is substantially completed. I mean, they're pretty much we're doing paperwork to close out the contract right now. Mr. Fleming, the short answer is no. Senator Gittin stated he was frustrated with hearing that projects were still not completed and astonished at the prices for contracts executed. The removal and replacement of an existing 36-inch door that we're paying in excess of $4,000 to remove and replace one door. Why is this? $4,553. Then also to replace uh, and install a ceiling fan at $18,000. Why are we seeing these types of things? He stated that after searching the Home Depot website for metal composite doors, they were significantly less than the $4,000 earmarked presently. Why are we spending this type of monies for replacement of existing 36-inch uh, doors? Senator, we're looking at the difference between uh, residential doors and commercial um, doors and hardware. There's a difference in... I understand cost. that. It still don't take me $4,000. Senator Gittins queried with Chief Operations Officer Alan Fleming whether repairs to the AC units at the St. Croix Educational Complex had been completed. Senator, as far as my future, yes. And just to answer the question on the doors, too, we're looking at... Um, Removal and replacement. So you're taking out the, the door and the frame and also replacing. When you re replace commercial doors, you tend to replace the, the frames. The frames is an integral part of the door. And it's not something that you could get an off-the-shelf door and place in, into an existing um, frame. They, they're usually specific to the frame. No, we don't get away with a lot of things. And that's why, that's why we're able to do things that people ain't watching. Because the uh, uh, next thing is, is I'm seeing that to troubleshoot an existing AC, a 30-ton AC unit, to troubleshoot it cost us $43,000. The same unit we're talking about now to replace it cost us an additional $43,900. What's really going on? You're, 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 Man, if we had some good investigators that are just send them right down in, in, in you guys' shop now. Because this is just totally ridiculous.
But just let's just know also that all the AC units and whatnot are not operable at the complex. Uh, you still have at the CTEC side upstairs where there's a newly installed uh, AC unit that's still not working. And I'm looking at these POs uh, that are completely paid and saying that they're 100% uh, completed, and still we have all these problems uh, at the complex. Commissioner Wells Hedrington followed up by telling senators she reached out to the project engineer who has oversight of the custom builder's contract. He indicated that we're waiting on a 30-ton handler for that work to be completed with that air-conditioned installation at complex. There still has to be some electrical lines installed and some other issues corrected. So it's not completed. Um, his estimated time of completion is July 22nd, 2024. Many Virgin Islanders have been wondering when they will be receiving their tax refunds, particularly as the approaching April 15th tax day is just 62 days away. Comments from Governor Albert Bryan Jr., however, don't indicate refunds being a priority over other government obligations. I know we're trickling them out, but right now we're focusing on, as you know, I said, we're still having a cash flow problem. So our priority right now is just paying out our vendors. Uh, but we, we're going to be trying to get something out before Carnival. The Cannabis Advisory Board has unanimously approved proposed rules and regulations during a virtual meeting today to conform with the Virgin Islands Cannabis Use Act. The board received the proposed rules and regulations from the Office of Legal Counsel, Richard Evangelista, through Government House. If you recall, back in November of 2022, we actually had rules and regulations that were ready to go for the Medical Cannabis Use Patient Medical Use Act. I probably have it messed up positive. My apologies. Um, but now we actually have the rules and regs that conform with the existing law. Board Chair Dr. Catherine Ken said this was something they had all been waiting a long time for. I feel like this is a forward movement push. We're going to accept this and move towards publishing it to the general public as well as on our website. There has been confusion about proposed amendments to the Cannabis Use Act being properly submitted to the legislature, with Senator Donna Frick Gregory stating that OCR Director Hannah Cardi never formally submitted the documentation. Mr. Evangelista stated that the proposed amendments have been formally submitted to the legislature as of January 19th of this year. If you can recall from the prior board meetings, um, we had mentioned that we did submit them to the legislature. And what it was is that we submitted them off the floor during two committee meetings and one separately via email. But they were formally now formally submitted to the legislature on January 19th, 2024, to the office of the president. And um, since then... We have actually worked with the office of Senator Donna Fred Gregory, um, who has authorship or ownership of a lot of those proposed amendments. As you indicated, we had submitted them priorly, albeit not formally, but now it's formally submitted. Um, so we expect to see some movement in the days and okay. Okay. months to come, but hopefully days to come, um, because uh, we actually were working on it last week. A 30-day public comment period is supposed to begin today, and the proposed rules and regulations will be available for review on the Office of Cannabis Regulations website at ocr.vi.gov under Governance, Rules, and Regulations. 
The Department of Interior announced nearly $7 million from President Biden's Investing in America's Agenda to advance climate resilience and restore lands and waters through ecosystem restoration work in the U.S. territories. A $3.9 million investment from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law will support programs and projects in American Samoa, the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Another $3 million from the Inflation Reduction Act will go to Puerto Rico to help with combating climate change. From the $3.9 million, the territory will receive $971,000 to support the development of an early detection and rapid response framework of invasive species and support surveys of plant communities that connect northern and southern shorelines across St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John. The territory was previously awarded $3 million to the Department of Planning and Natural Resources for a climate adaptation roadmap. That project will include data collection on temperature and water resources to better understand trends specific to the territory and its climate needs. The funds will also be used to restore historical documents that were damaged in storms, harden existing infrastructure that houses archival documents in the territory, and digitize historical and archival materials. Just two months ago, the St. Thomas Humane Society onboarded a new executive director, Michelle Robbins, who hit the ground to establish a productive turnaround on the island's only shelter. She was tapped for the position after leading the society's thrift store for a period of time, and her first goal was to address the shelter's incredible overcrowding, going so far as to post on social media, seeking the community's assistance. She even issued a red notice, as they had been forced to consider euthanizing some of its occupants. We spoke with Ms. Robbins, who says they were facing very tough decisions. Since then, um, a lot has changed. We have um, gotten a transport together. Uh, our Pets with Wings program really, um, really pushed the limits and got all of our animals out of the shelter. Um, it's 142 dogs, 116 cats, and seven bunnies. Um, all went out last Thursday on a transport to various states. Um, yeah, and so from there now, we're just hitting the ground running. There's a lot of cleaning, painting, reorganizing, restructuring. A, a lot of our policies um, just are out of date. So we've been taking a hard look at everything um, that we have going on. Ms. Robbins says they were so overwhelmed that dogs lined every area of the shelter. The only proper way to describe this is that it was like a hoarding facility. Um, we had animals in the lobbies, hallways, um, office spaces. They were in my office. They were everywhere. Um, it just was not a functional business like that. I couldn't think, <laughs> you know, with dogs in my office barking. Um, it just was not a good situation for staff or the volunteers here and so immediately um, we moved dogs down into what we call the doggy den created a new space so that we could think <laughs> um, have them out of our office and out of the lobby and that made a huge impact and that really changed but uh, we were out of crates and out of space the shelter has traditionally operated as a no-kill shelter but Ms. Robbins said the situation had become just too much that they could barely take care of the dogs and they would have to turn people away who were seeking their assistance. And then eventually um, the Pets with Wings program really uh, put together a, a huge transport 
um, led by Rhea. Rhea is the Pets with Wings um, coordinator, and then she has a really good team. And then they found a lot of stateside rescues, and they had a lot of help stateside. Um, and we had planes donated, and it seemed like overnight all of a sudden our whole world changed and then, and then it continued to change and then the goal became to for these rescues that they wanted to save all these animals because they really saw what kind of situation we were in. She says that members of the community need to spay and neuter their animals as it's the leading reason for the overpopulation of stray and surrendered animals. That has also been our problem is that we don't have a vet here at the shelter, like most shelters do, to help with the spay and neuter um, control and the population, um, we, you know, that's that's the, the that's the biggest thing that anybody can do to help. Um, so we are actually this week we have a, um, a vet of record who helps us um, out here and there. Um, she's here, just got on island today to help us with an area that we're making into a vet clinic um, because our goal for this coming year, hopefully very shortly, starting in March, we'll be able to offer low-cost, no-cost um, spay and neuters uh, to the public. Community members can go to their website to apply to become a volunteer at humanesocietystthomas.org. Ms. Robbins says this transport has essentially allowed them to start at the beginning. We've just, um, over the years, just haven't even been able to have a moment to clean out old files, things like that, you know. So um, it's a huge effort. And now we're revamping the policies and procedures and setting up an animal control program so we have more presence in the community. So we're super grateful to be able to start over. The office of the Lieutenant Governor, Tregenza Roach, shared that the St. John Tax Assessor's Office, located at the Islandia Building in Cruise Bay, will be closed until further notice. The closure includes both the tax assessor and the cashier services. All calls have been rerouted to the St. Thomas office, which can be contacted at 340-774-2991, extension 4114 and 4105. Governor Albert Bryan Jr. has officially named Antonio Stevens to head the Fire and Emergency Medical Services, crediting his years of experience for the appointment. Antonio is a distinguished professional who has made significant contributions to both military and civilian emergency response sectors. His commitment to education, training, and leadership has solidified his status as a respected figure in the Virgin Islands Fire and Emergency medical service. Prior to my naming him acting director, following the unfortunate and untimely passing of our former director, Darrell Mousy George, he held the esteemed position of assistant director and served as a territorial hazardous material weapons of mass destruction coordinator. Welcoming another member to his cabinet, Molito Smith stood next to Governor Albert Bryan Jr. since being tapped to lead the Law Enforcement Planning Commission. What, what is untold is that many may have known me in the healthcare field. What is unknown is that criminal justice and this type of work is actually my first passion. My concentration of studies long before going into healthcare is really around community development, safe communities, and the nexus between allowing policy and best practice to create a better fusion of community for all of us. 
Virgin Islands Good Food is hosting its inaugural Island Food System Summit on February 19th through the 21st. We spoke with Good Food Director Summer Sibley Brown, who says it's a collective of bringing all heads to the table with the aim of strengthening the territory's food system. We're looking to have like a hundred people from across the food system to include guests from Alaska, Hawaii, Seattle, friends who we've worked with, our partners in Iowa, and like farmers from St. Thomas, the BVI, Vieques, Puerto Rico. Um, We'll have a contingent and we'll all be here on February 19th through the 21st um, at UVI. Registration to attend the summit closes on Thursday, February 15th at 5 p.m. Interested parties can register at islandfoodsummit.com. You can register for the complete conference, which includes on the 19th an opening networking event. Um, The day one, the meet of the conference is the 20th and the 21st. So day one is, um, you know, much like any other conference, there's an opening, there's a plenary session. In the afternoon of the 20th, there are immersions. So you get to go out into the community and experience something in the context of St. Croix. They're not all food focused because we need to understand the whole context of a place to begin to solutionize. And then... On the 21st, again, it opens with a plenary, it opens with um, discussions, and then we also have concurrent sessions focused on different areas that will be uniquely led. Yes, we'll have moderators and panelists, but there's a farmer perspective piece. And so what we're asking people to respond to and take into consideration is what is the farmer's perspective? And then we'll have like a closing session. Summers says the summit is not just for farmers, as it brings together agricultural producers, frontline workers, partners, and allies, and it's been intentionally designed to center the voices of Virgin Islands farmers, their experience, and expertise. In more news, we're turning now to our regional report. A former Puerto Rico mayor who was caught on film in a high-profile bribery case was sentenced to more than five years in prison as part of an ongoing federal crackdown on government corruption in the territory. Angel Perez Ortero, a former lawmaker who was also president of the island's Federation of Mayors and served as a mayor from 2017 to 2021, had been found guilty of conspiracy, bribery, and extortion in March. He had been accused of awarding contracts and expediting invoice payments in exchange for thousands of dollars in cash as part of a scheme that federal authorities said ran from late 2019 through May of 2021. Attorneys for Perez says they do plan to appeal. Perez is one of several former mayors who have been sentenced in federal bribery cases in recent years. Returning now to our meteorologist for the territory's weather forecast. A big ridge of high pressure over the central Atlantic will keep things rather dry and seasonably warm for the next few days, with just a few isolated showers expected. Looking ahead to later in the week, the pattern will change little. We'll continue to see some isolated shower activity on Friday, but the key word there is isolated. Due to the position of the ridge and a long period northeasterly swell, we'll continue to see rough surf at area beaches and an elevated risk for rip currents as well. Our forecast details, overnight tonight we'll see a few passing clouds. There's a small 20% chance of a shower, middle 70s. East to southeast winds will decrease to 5 to 10 miles per hour during the overnight. Plenty of sunshine on Wednesday, highs tomorrow in the middle 80s. A few clouds tomorrow night, lower 70s. It'll become partly sunny with isolated showers on Thursday. 
Temperatures in the middle 80s, partly sunny on Friday. This is meteorologist Russ Murley. We are at the end of today's WTJX newsfeed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. And if you haven't already, be sure to download the WTJX app. If you missed a part of our news, you can listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts.